So how do you pray for revival? Do you pray for revival? Does the scripture give us any, any help in how you pray for revival? Jesus said these words, the harvest is plentiful. Is the harvest plentiful everywhere? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Has the harvest always been plentiful? The answer is yes. For 2,000 years, the harvest has been plentiful. Can you imagine a farmer who had to turn his crops over because they were rotting? I feel for God who has seen places where the harvest was plentiful and the laborers were few. And there is a sense of urgency in the Lord when he says the harvest is plentiful. That's a positive thing. Yay. Let's say yay. The harvest is plentiful. Yay. It's plentiful in Afghanistan. It's plentiful in Iraq. It's plentiful in Vietnam. It's plentiful in Canada. It's plentiful in Afghanistan. The harvest is plentiful. It's, it's plentiful in your high school, your college. It's plentiful among junior high school kids. You get people in. You get the right person with those junior high kids, and they're going to have a harvest, right? They're going to have a harvest. And harvest is so exciting. Any of you, raise your hand if you've ever experienced a harvest. If you've grown up, okay. You know what it feels like. I've heard it's exciting when the harvest comes in. Pardon? To be in a harvest. To, 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 to be like on a farm, live on a farm, and have a, a harvest. Okay, we're going to experience that in a different sort of a way as the harvest starts to come in. We're going to experience. Evan Roberts prayed for 100,000 in the Welsh Revival. When God called him, he began to pray for five to seven hours at a time, praying, crying out, and he asked for 100,000 souls. You know how many he got? 100,000. I'm asking for 500,000 in the Twin Cities. Is that too many to ask for? Wouldn't that be wonderful if 500,000 were swept into the kingdom? The harvest is plentiful in the Twin Cities and beyond. The harvest is plentiful here in Minnesota and Wisconsin. But, Here's the sad part. The laborers are few. That's what Jesus said. The laborers are few. Therefore, what did he say to do? Ask, yeah, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. So that's how we can pray. Let's do it for a moment now. You, you pray with me. Different ones join and, and pray for laborers. And you may think of a, you may mention a nation or a city. Yes, send laborers into people with drugs. Send laborers to them, those that can reach them. Yes, do it. Lord, I pray for laborers among the Vietnamese. 
gardens and Yes. 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 Good. Keep going. We're asking the Lord of the harvest. That's who you're talking to when you're praying. Yes. Yes. Father, send nurturers <coughs> people to come in, feel love, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to speak your life truth. Yes. practitioners and new age followers would be really hammering the attitude of these spirits. Yeah. There would be a massive harvest directly from the camp of the enemy. Of whom there are more in the Twin Cities than almost any metropolitan community in the country. This is a center. I pray for mothers in India who throw their babies in the river to appease an angry God. I pray that you would send people to break through to them and tell them they don't have to throw their babies away. Yes. Yes. We know people in Nepal. The devastation, not only with the earthquake, but then the after, after effects, too. They've torn the place up. What happens when we pray? You can feel it even now as you pray. You feel more of the harvest, don't you? See, there can be an indifference toward the harvest. Jesus was doing harvesting with a Samaritan woman. The disciples couldn't have cared less, literally. And so he sent them into town to get hamburgers while he was doing harvesting. And when they came back and he said, it's okay, I've already eaten, they wondered if somebody slipped them a, slipped them a sandwich. What, what do you mean you've eaten? He was enjoying harvesting with a Samaritan woman. And now, not only did he harvest her, this woman with how many husbands? Five. Five. And the one you've got now is not yours. She's on number six. What a, what a broken woman. What a broken woman. Trashed by the world, but really loved by Jesus. Now he says, lift up your eyes. Why? He was, they could see it. Now they're coming out of Sychar and they're coming to Jesus. And you could literally see 
the harvest walking toward them, the disciples couldn't care less. See, they were prejudiced, but Jesus is a harvester. And so he's going to harvest. He's going to enable you. So if you pray, if you beseech the Lord of the harvest, he will enable you to be a part. It can be dangerous to pray for revival. I'll tell you how. Dangerous in a negative way. It can make you passive. Because you can delegate up to, up, upward to God. You can't really. But people delegate revival to God. And they say, okay, God, do this. Do this. Because I, they're not saying it, but because they're not going to do anything. And there are many in the church who do that. You have a Wednesday night prayer group where they think they're sticking it to the devil and praying for these places. Where they have no intention, no desire to move, no desire to give their money, but they're praying. And so they're sticking it to the devil. In fact, the devil's sticking it to them. Because they're passive and indifferent. And they're not moved to do something. So that's the danger in praying for revival. Better to be a revival if you're going to be that way. And say, I'll do what I, I do what I, God expects me to do. Because listen, God does not do it apart from his people. The reason he went after Jonah again, because that's the way he does it. He connects with people. How can they hear except somebody preach? It says in Romans. So God makes connections. We are his co-workers. I can't fathom that. I can't get over that. That's one of the verses. I Co-workers with God. And so God's looking for people, and he might as well find you, Jacob. He might as well find you, Nathan. He might as well go after you and say, I'll use you. You do your little part, I'll do my part, and we'll sweep into Nineveh, and we'll change the whole city for eternity deal. So it's interesting when Jesus he says he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. They were scattered. And that's when he said these words. He he looked at them and they they were wandering. They didn't they didn't know where they were going and they didn't have they didn't have shepherds. They had people that were robbing from them. And that's when he said the harvest is plentiful. With the workers, we really need workers. You know what he did next? He called his disciples and sent them forth. I don't know if there's a lag, because that's chapter 10. I just quoted the end of 9. I don't know if there's a lag there where the disciples did some praying, but then, then they were called and thrust forth. I want to be in the harvest in these days. Anybody else want to be in the harvest? Want to participate? Do whatever, whatever God calls you to do. It'll be different from what God calls Nate to do. Different from what God calls Dan. I want to be available to do what he wants me to do in this massive harvest. I'm going to call on Nate. Nate's been a real joy to me in these days because we've been talking about the harvest, been talking about the, the, the work of, of revival, and uh, I'm going to ask him to share, and then we'll do some more praying. <laughs> Hi, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> oh, thank you. So, my voice is very weak tonight. So you're going to have to notch me up a few notches. Um, and in our weakness, he is strong. Amen. And I'm going to have to ask you to spend, uh, give, give me a little bit extra focus and attention tonight. I'm not going to be able to drive it home like I want to. So 
Just be in the Spirit, and you'll get it, and that'll be good enough. Um, if you have your Bible, open up to Luke 11. And we have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, go grab one from Dan. Luke 11. Raise your hands if you need one. Sorry about that. Luke 11. All right. Now, the disciples saw Jesus praying a lot, right? Jesus prayed all the time. Now, Jesus was God. Why was he praying all the time? Interesting question, right? And yet he was praying all the time, wasn't he? The disciples saw Jesus pray all the time. And... At the beginning of Luke 11 here, they're seeing Jesus pray, and they must have thought to themselves, you know what? I feel like prayer must be kind of a big deal because the master is doing it all the time. So maybe we should figure out what the heck is going on with this whole prayer thing because clearly he gets something that we don't because we see Jesus go off and pray for an hour, two hours, three hours, however long it was, and we're bored in 15 minutes or we're falling asleep. And so what is he getting that we don't? What is it about prayer that Jesus gets that we don't? We need to understand this. And so one of the disciples, probably one of the disciples that had been one of John's disciples, okay, so James, John, um, Peter's brother, Andrew, one of those guys. Luke 11, we're going to read the first 13 verses. Um, this is a sermon, okay? They say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. This is a sermon, 1 through 13. Now, a lot of people, when they say, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, they talk about the Lord's Prayer, which is the first part of the sermon. But the whole thing is one sermon, verses 1 through 13. And like a good Lutheran, uh, Jesus gave a nice three-point sermon, right? It's a nice three-point sermon. There is one central theme throughout the whole sermon, and there's three good points to it. There's a, an example of a prayer at the beginning. There is a parable with an explanation, and then there is a good analogy to drive it home at the end. So it's one sermon. When the disciples said, teach us how to pray, Jesus didn't just recite a prayer to them that we all memorize and pray in church every week or whatever it is. He gave a whole sermon. And so we're going to look at all of it. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. We're going to go over an overview, and then we're going to pick it apart a little bit. We don't have the seven hours it would take to go over it really in depth because there's a ton of stuff here. Maybe someday we'll get there. When revival comes and nobody wants to leave, we'll just preach all night. All the preachers are like, yay! Everybody else is like, oh boy. <laughs> All right. The Lord's, uh, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. and Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive anyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. I'm going to pause there quickly. You might be wondering why that doesn't look like the full Lord's Prayer that you're used to. Preachers have a tendency to give the same sermon at multiple times, in multiple locations. It's a little trick we have, right? 
We actually give the same sermon several times. And you see that in the Gospels. Jesus will give the same sermon sometimes in multiple places. And Luke might record one of them. Matthew might record a different one. John might record a different one, etc. Because why are you going to put the same sermon in your book 19 times? Right? Um, And so the Lord's Prayer that we have takes all the bits from all the different sermons that Jesus gave that mentions this. Does that make sense? So that's why this one maybe looks a little shorter than the ones we're used to. All right, back to it. Verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, great word, we'll get to that later, he will rise and give, you, give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, love it, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Okay, so that's the sermon. It's short, it's sweet, but it's really, really dense. There's a ton of stuff in here. So, the overall just of it. Jesus is saying, we need to pray because God really wants to answer our prayers. Right? He wants us to pray so that he can answer our prayers because he really wants to do that. Why? Why not just do it? Why doesn't God just do what he wants to do? Why does he need us to pray for it at all? Well, Paul already touched on that. Thanks for taking that three minutes off my sermon. God cooperates with us. That's how he does things. It has to do with his choice for us to have the capacity to love. He created us in his image, which means we have the ability to love. And in order to love, you have to have free will. A robot can't love. A computer program can't love. You need free will to love, right? And because we have that free will, he then chooses in his sovereignty to say, I want to partner with you, the people I've created in my image, in order to accomplish what I want to accomplish on the earth. So he partners with us, which means that there are things that God wants to accomplish on the earth that don't happen if we don't partner with it. So there's plenty of stuff that happens in this world that is not God's will, right? Now, God is sovereign, and there's free will, but there's plenty of stuff that happens that's not his will, like every time we sin, right? Duh. God doesn't want that. Every time someone goes to hell, God doesn't want that. He said, the Bible says God desires all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, right? And so in order for God's will to be done on earth, as Jesus says here in the Lord's Prayer, he partners with us, right? And so he wants us to pray. He wants us to pray so that he can answer our prayers. God is not stingy. He's not a, we don't serve angry God, okay? He's not a mean old man in the sky with a stick waiting for us to step out of line so he can smack us with that big old God stick and be like, Judge! Suck it. <laughs> not God. That's, that's not this God. That's a God. It's a God that a lot of Christians worship, 
but it's not this one. Hello? Everybody with me? If any of you have some sort of angry God thing still inside you, which many of us have just because of the churches we were sometimes raised in, okay, come and talk to one of us about that, okay? Because God wants to deliver you from that religious spirit that makes you think God is angry. God is happy. Have you read this book? He dances over his creation. Is he grieved by things? Of course he is. But he's God. He can be happy and still be grieved. Right? His baseline is that he loves us and he's happy. Okay? He's happy in and of himself. We don't, make him, we don't have to make him happy. He is God. He's happy without us. He didn't make us because he had a need for something. He didn't, oh, I'm so bored. I need people to love me. No. God was totally cool by himself. Father, Son, and Spirit perfect with one another. They did not need anything. He made us because he is love, and that love just flowed out of him, and creation just needed to take place so that that love could be expressed by furthering itself. Okay? Not the sermon that we're preaching right now. I don't know where that came from. Um, So, he gives this three-point sermon, like a good Lutheran, just kidding. Um, He gives this three-point sermon. Now, notice this. Did anybody notice In each of these parts of the sermon, Jesus talks about bread. Bread. Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. The parable, a friend needs extra loaves of bread because someone's arrived on a journey. And in the last one, um, they're asking for different kinds of food. A good father knows how to give good gifts. And in the Matthew version of this, one of the specific things they ask for is bread. Again, Jesus gives the same sermon multiple times. And so, bread appears three times in each, once in each of the points of this sermon. So Jesus teaches a sermon on prayer because the disciple says, teach us how to pray. And he's like, okay, yada, 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 ask for bread. Yada, 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 ask for bread. And also ask for bread. End of sermon. Seriously, textually, if in a seminary class you were to say, biblically, let's outline this, let's diagram this, what is Jesus saying in this 13-verse sermon? He is saying, Pray for more bread, and I'll give it to you. What? I mean, sweet, I guess. Like, I like bread. Bread is cool. Um, So, (laughs) there there has been time where we really needed that bread. And so, so what is going on? What's going on with that? Why is Jesus saying, Okay, you guys really want to understand prayer. You really want to know why you need to pray and how to do it, how to be successful in prayer? The answer is this. Ask for more bread. Boom. And they're like, okay. No, I think they got it. We don't get it. But they got it because they understood the Old Testament context because they were in the Old Testament context. So what does bread mean? What's the point? Why does Jesus say keep asking for bread? Well, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, bread was a metaphor for the presence of God. Bread was a metaphor for God himself, for God the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, in particular the revelatory presence of God, the presence of God which speaks to us, but also the presence of God in general, the Holy Spirit. Uh, In the temple, the tabernacle as well, of course, there was an altar, and on that altar were several things. One was incense, signifying the prayers of the saints, One was wine and bread, wine and bread, wine and bread. Hmm. That reminds me of something. Wine and bread. Um, The bread 
was called the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence. And it needed to be in the presence of the Lord at all times. Okay? Bread was a symbol for the presence of God. And so when he keeps talking about pray for bread, pray for bread, pray for bread, it's not that in the Lord's Prayer he's saying, it's not that it's not saying that we shouldn't pray for our daily needs. Like, give us this day our daily bread. Certainly that implies pray for your daily needs and God will meet them. I'm not saying it doesn't say that. I'm saying that bread also means the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, they got that right away. And so when he's given these three-point sermon, and at each point he's like, ask for bread, ask for bread, ask for bread. They're like, okay, I get it. I get what you're saying. And what is he saying? The number one thing we pray for is God himself. God himself. The Holy Spirit is what we need above anything else. We might think we need this. We might think we need such and such a gift. We might think we need such and such a thing from God. We might think we need this to happen, and it's not happening. We really want it to. But what we need most of all is God himself. More of the spirit of God in our lives, more of the presence of God in our lives, more of the life of Jesus Christ within us, living through us. Now, in case you didn't know that that's what bread was all about, he sort of gives it away right at the very end. He says, if you then, who are evil, love that, dis, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All of prayer is about asking for more of the Holy Spirit. It's about asking for more of God himself. Not just more from God, more of God. We seek his face more than his hand. That's in a few songs we've sung from time to time, right? And it's true. What we need more than anything else is more of God himself, more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Everybody with me? Okay. So that is the point of the sermon. That's what Jesus is trying to say. You need to pray, and I want to answer your prayers, and the best thing to pray is for more of me, because I'm awesome. Because Jesus knows what we really need is more of him, right? We think we need a lot of other stuff sometimes, but at the end of the day, all we need is more God, more of the presence of God, more of the Holy Spirit. All right, now let's go back through this bit by bit, just a little. Um, The Lord's Prayer part, if you'll notice, some of these things are requests, but others are declarations. Think about the Lord's Prayer. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a request. That's not God, please give us my, my daily bread. Please give us this. Please don't lead us into temptation. It's not a request. It's a declaration. Thy kingdom come. Do you see the prophetic bent to that? It's a declaration. He's saying declare this. Like when he said to um, Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy to these bones, son of man, that they would come together and the flesh would come on them and that they would have life in them again. Why didn't Ezekiel say, well, sure, but you could just do that. I mean, if you want to do that, why not just do that? No, again, cooperation, right? Partnership. God says, no, I want you to prophesy so that I can do it. Not that he couldn't have done it. He's sovereign, but he wants to partner with us, so he need, needed Ezekiel to prophesy so that he could do it. Do you see the weirdness there? Okay, it's weird. I do not understand it, but that is the way it is, <laughs> right? I don't get why God did it that way. I mean, I kind of do, but I really don't. Because things would work a little easier if he just made everything happen. If we were all robots, things would work perfectly, right? But we're not. And he didn't want that because he wanted love from us, from two other people. 
and himself, of course. And so there's a declarative nature to the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Not, Lord, please send us your kingdom. We could really use it. No, no, no. We are declaring it to the heavens, to the earth, and to everything else. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth in the same way it is in heaven. Remember we said how God's will isn't always done on earth. And we know that. And this is saying, no, declare that my will would happen here just as it happens there. Because in heaven, God's will happens all the time. Obviously, right? That's like the definition of heaven. The complete, continual presence of God and the will of God being accomplished at all times. And he's saying, you can have that here, but you've got to pray it in. You have to declare it. When Jesus talked about the kingdom, he said it starts small and it grows and it grows and it grows and it never stops. And eventually, the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Sometimes people quote that verse as if we're on the defensive. The gates of hell can't prevail against us. What's a gate? A gate is defensive, it's not offensive. Can you imagine an army running at you with a big gate? Yeah, I'm going to get you with my gate. That's weird. That is like not sound military strategy. Hell is not coming at us like throwing doors. Take that with this gate thing. No. The gates of hell will not prevail against us means we go straight up to the gates of hell and we knock those suckers in. That is what we were promised. We are not called as a church to survive the storm. We are not called as a church to just make it through praying for the rapture so we can get the heck out of here. That is not our destiny. That is not God's will for us as a people. We are supposed to take over the world. The destiny of the church is to become the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven all the way up to the gates of hell, and even they won't prevail against us. Hello? Amen. little Bible for you. Also not the, the sermon for today, but <laughs> that one's free. You can just keep, keep that. I'm going to charge you for the next one. So there's, there's, there's declarative aspects to, to, to the Lord's Prayer. That means that Jesus, in response to teach us how to pray, teaches us to pray, pray not just request, but declaration. There's a sense and a time for us to say, this be done. This happen. Okay? There's a de- declarative nature. For example, uh, when, when we pray for people to be delivered of evil spirits, we don't say, Jesus, please get rid of this demon thing. It's really uncool for him. He doesn't like it. It's bothering him, kind of ruining his life. So please, if you feel like it today, if you're not too busy, can you get rid of this evil spirit? No, that's not how we're taught to deal with evil spirits, right? We're taught to cast them out. We take the authority Jesus has given us, and we deal with it, right? That's not to say that it's always like a fight. I'm going to get you, demon. Like, it's usually way simpler than that. Like, the spirit just gets rid of him because we take our authority. And Dave is going to come talk about that maybe in a couple weeks. Um, But that's how we deal with the demonic, right? That's also how we're supposed to deal with the supernatural, with praying for healing. Because that's what's modeled in the New Testament. In the New Testament, nowhere do we see Jesus or the disciples. If you can find somewhere, show me, please, later. Like, I'm serious. I'm always trying to learn. I have yet to find a place where the Bible in the New Testament teaches us, Lord, please heal this person. Just please do it. I mean, if, if you could, it would be great if you could heal them. Like, maybe, if it's your will. Maybe. If it's your will. Is it your will? I don't know. If it's your will, maybe sort of heal them. If, ah, Jesus, just your will be done. Whatever, your will be done. That is not... 
the way the New Testament teaches us to pray for healing. How does it teach us to pray? Take up your bed and go home. You're done with this paralyzed thing. Go home. You're done. Boom. Authority. Declarative. Be healed. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Not lay hands on the sick and if you ask me nicely enough and I'm in a great mood, maybe I'll show up on occasion and do something. That's not Bible, right? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to ask God to do things. Please do not hear me saying that, okay? I'm not saying it's wrong to ask God to do things. I'm not saying it's wrong to be polite in our prayers. It's okay to be polite, right? I'm not saying it's wrong to be humble. But sometimes, in an attempt, I believe, to be overly humble, we end up being timid. Timid and humidity are not, humility, are not the same thing. Timidity and humility. Humidity, but it's a combination of the two. Um, God doesn't like timidity. I can't find a single timid person in the Bible where God's like, I love that. I love how you don't want to do anything ever. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> Blessed be the butt sitters who just don't do anything but sit on their butts. No. Jesus is not a big fan of timidity. Right? And he doesn't want us to be timid in our prayers. And the New Testament doesn't teach very timid praying. It says, be healed. But we don't pray that way. And I wonder if the fact that we don't pray that way, because we don't have the faith to pray that way, is why we don't see people getting healed that way very much, like they do in other parts of the world. Just a thought. Okay, so verse 5. Can I keep going? What's my time frame? I don't know. No, no, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Ignorance of the law excuses me. Uh, That's how it goes. Pretty sure, pretty sure that's how it goes. Verse 5, and he said to them, okay, which of you who has a friend? Okay, so in this parable, you are the main character. Which of you... Who has a friend? Everybody get that? You're the main character in this story, in this parable Jesus is telling, all right? Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Loaves of bread. There we are again, bread, right? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Okay, so what's happening? You just had somebody show up from a long journey. You obviously weren't expecting them. They just come out, come out of nowhere. And you say, oh, no, I have nothing to give them. So you go to another friend and you say, can I have some bread to give this person? Right? Now, bread is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And so there's nobody here of whom this is not true. Because we all have friends who need more of God. Right? We all have friends who need a touch from the Lord, who need healing, who need blessing, who need hope. So many Christians are hopeless right now. So many Christians in this country. You talk to them and it just turns negative as soon as you start to get into a conversation and it's just hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. Things are only going to get worse. Then we're all going to get thrown in jail. Then most of us will be killed. And then hopefully we'll get rescued from this dump. Again, not Bible. Not Bible at all. All right? There's hopelessness in the world. People need more of the Holy Spirit. They need more of the presence of God. They need a new touch from the Lord. Right? And so our friend comes to us. We all have these friends. All of us. Sometimes that friend is us. Right? Little few humble people here? Yeah. Sometimes that friend is us. And so this friend comes and they need something. They are hungry. 
and we rightly discern that what they need is more of God. We're like, they need more of God. And so what do we do? We go and we ask for more of God for our friend, right? We go and say, give me three extra loaves so that I can bring them to my friend. But notice this. Our friend who needs more of the presence of God, we do not, what Jesus models here is not intercession. Intercession is wonderful. Love it. Let's just stop talking about intercession there because it's great. Okay, nothing bad about intercession. But that's not what this is talking about. It doesn't say, if your friend needs more of the Lord, pray that and I'll do it for him. What does it say? If your friend needs more of the Lord, what do you do? You go to the Lord and get it. You get it. You bring it to them. See that? Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Your friend needs more bread, more of God. What do you do? You don't just pray for your friend. You go to the Lord, the giver of bread, the bread himself, and you say, Give me three extra loaves. And then you take the presence of God, and you bring it to the person, and you give it to them. You minister the presence of God to that person. Everybody see this? Okay? This is not intercession. Jesus, his disciples said, teach us how to pray. And this is what Jesus taught. Jesus said, you come to me and get more and you bring it to them. God gives it to you, you bring it to them. God gives it to you, you bring it to them. Not you come before God and ask God to bless them. That's great to do. It's great to do. Do it all the time. For everyone you know. Enemies, friends, everybody. But what Jesus is saying here is, come to me, I will give you bread. You take that extra bread, you bring it to the person. We are the body of Christ. Amen? We are Christ's body on earth. We take the bread, we bring it to the people. What is this called? Anybody know? It's called revival. It's called revival. People need to be revived. They need more of the life of God in them. And this is our part to play. Paul, as Paul said earlier, there's God's role in the revival and there's our role in the revival. We're praying for the glory to fall and things to get all crazy up in here. And it's going to be fun and awesome. But we have a role to play as well. We partner with the Lord. We cooperate with him in what he's doing. And our role is this. We come to the Lord. We ask for more of him, more of the spirit, more of his presence. And we take that and we bring it to someone else so that they can be revived. It's not just intercession. We have to get off our butts and do it. Everybody with me? You see this in here? So we are asking for more bread, more of the Lord. God gives it to us, we bring it to them. Okay? Kind of a big deal. I, when the Lord revealed this to me, which was very recently, I was like, whoa, how have I never seen that? How many, how many hundreds of times have I read this passage? And I've never gotten that before. Like, it just never hit me. It never hit me. Because, you know, I think to myself, oh, pray for other people. Pray for what you need, and God will give it to you. Right? But that's not all it's saying. It's saying pray for what they need so he can give it to you, and then you can give it to them. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So let's keep going. Verse 7. And he, this is uh, the person you're asking bread from, God, he will answer from within, do not bother me. God off, Jesus often portrays God 
as being a little jerky in some of these parables, right? God is the judge who doesn't want to do what you want, and here he's the guy who doesn't want to give you bread. Jesus isn't saying that's how God is. I think Jesus is saying that's how we're perceiving him to be. We perceive him to be the dude who doesn't want to do what we want. Okay? So just hold on to that for a second. Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. In other words, if I get up, I'm going to wake everybody in the house up. And those of you who have kids know that that's a nightmare. I have three. Terrible. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise up and give him whatever he needs. So he's not going to give it to you because you're his friend. He's going to give it to you because of your impudence. What does impudence mean? Persistence, it sort of means that. Shameless boldness or offensive boldness is what it actually means. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. The only time this word is used in the New Testament. It's a bad word. Not, Not like... Swear word, bad word. Paul uses a couple of those, by the way, but we'll talk about that some other time. Um, this is a, it's a very negative word. It's a very, very negative word. This is not something you want said of you. But God is like, yeah, forget that. I want you to do it. Offensively bold. So because of his impudence, he will get up and give you whatever you want. Jesus, in response to teach us how to pray, says, I want you to pray with offensive boldness. None of this, God, if you feel like it, I could use some bread for my buddy, but whatever. No, 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 offensive boldness. Hey, I'm going to keep asking you, God, give me the bread. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. I need it, I need it, I need it. He needs it. He needs it. Give it to me. And you keep praying and praying and praying and praying and freaking praying until God gives it to you so you can bring to them. Offensive boldness. Now, I was raised in the Midwest. <laughs> Offensive boldness is not on my natural repertoire. I don't know about you guys. I was raised that offensive boldness was akin to, like, Satanism. Okay? Offensive boldness is not something I was taught how to do. In fact, it was, no, never. Never be offensively bold. In fact, maybe don't say anything at all. Um, I was sharing with Paul earlier, a guy, I'm a part-time assistant pastor at a church in rural Wisconsin, which means that in the natural, I'm nothing. But in the spirit, that's a great recipe for God to do awesome things. Amen? And so this this old Norwegian guy goes, yeah, my grandpa used to say, oh, that guy made me so mad that I almost said something. And I'm like, oh, that describes every Scandinavian Lutheran I've ever met in my life. They were irate, and they almost spoke a word, but they did not. Okay? Yet, yet, the disciples say, teach us how to pray, and Jesus says, here's how you do it. You be offensively bold in your prayers. Shameless, shameless, ridiculously bold in your prayers. That's how Jesus says we need to pray to him. Ouch, that that is not easy for me. That is not how I was raised. And I was raised well. My parents did a great job, okay? It's just culturally, that's hard for me. I'm guessing maybe for a few of you, that's maybe true as well, okay? Being offensively bold is not something that comes natural for me, but it's right here. It is right here. Teach us how to pray, Lord. Be offensively bold in your prayers. 
that, again, that's not to say we don't ask nicely for things sometimes. There's a time for that, absolutely. But Jesus is saying, if you really want more of me, if you really want to see revival and get more of me for someone else who is in need, you've got to prove it. This is called faith. Faith means you walk something out. You say, this is true, and I'm going to prove it because I'm going to keep praying until it happens. That's faith, right? Jesus is like, you need to demonstrate faith in order to, do, to get this. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to. It's not that he doesn't want to. It's that we need to exercise faith to do it, which means we need to keep asking and asking and asking. And we don't just say, please, if you feel like it, do this. No, we are offensively bold in our prayers. God, we need more of you. And there is just no sense or buts about it. We need this. We need you to show up. We need more of your presence because my friend is hurting. He's dying. He's on drugs. He's tried to kill himself four times. I need more of your presence for this guy. And I'm going to keep asking you until you give it to me. Offensive boldness. And again, for those of us Midwesterners for whom offensive boldness doesn't come naturally, you know, just in your prayers, just say, God, what does it mean to be offensively bold? And just start doing it. Just start praying. God is okay with you trying stuff out, even if it's not, like, ultimately great when it comes to prayer. Like, read the Psalms. David yells at God all the time, right? God's okay with that. He knows how you actually feel anyway. So you're not surprising him by saying, I feel like you're a douchebag because you're not doing this thing that you said you were going to do. Sometimes we feel that way. And it does not surprise God if we tell him in prayer that we feel that way because he knows we feel that way. Because he's God, right? Because he knows everything. So we can be honest with him and say, God, you said you were going to do this stuff. And I do not see it. I don't see it. Why don't I see it? Do it. Ask God in your prayers. How do I be offensively bold? What does that mean for me right now? And just go for it. And if you step over the line a little bit, like saying douchebag in a sermon, you know, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. If you step over the line a tiny bit, God might say, all right, that was, that, that was the line. Line you. Line you. Um, and in, in which case, you're like, okay, sorry, I was over the line. But guess what? Most of us are nowhere near the line. Nowhere near the line. Most of us are saying, if, if you're not too busy today, it would be, you know, Nepal is, you know, screwed up and they need help. So we're really just fine. And so, if, you know what, never. We don't need anything. We're fine. God's omnipotent. He's not too busy in Nepal to help us too, right? We can be offensively bold in our prayers. And if we step over the line, it's okay. But probably we're not going to do it anyway. That's why Jesus said, hey, be offensively bold. Annoy me to death. And I'll do it. And I don't know why that is, other than that it just proves our faith and that we have to step that out. The same is true in the parable of the unjust judge, right? When we crying out for justice. Even though the judge doesn't want to do it because you annoy the crap out of him, he will eventually just do it to get rid of you. <laughs> now, is God an unjust judge? No. Clearly not. Jesus is not saying God is an unjust judge because that would be contrary to everything else in this book. He's saying we perceive God as being unjust because we don't see justice prevail, right? And he's saying, just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and I will do it. That is what he, every time he teaches on prayer, he teaches on boldness and persistence, every single time. Um, 
So offensive boldness is how we get it done. And, you know, again, the, the famous verse, I tell you, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened. And I'm sure you've heard before, but these verbs here are progressive, meaning it says ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. We don't have that type of verb in English, um, but in Greek, that's what it says. Ask and keep on asking. Like, don't ever stop asking. Always be in the process of asking, is what it says, until you get it. Um, So we need to ask. Ask God, ask God, ask God. And then sometimes we need to seek. What does it mean to seek? It means to go and find it. Right? To seek means to look for something. To go and look for something. Sometimes, some of us, when we're asking something of the Lord, need to do something in order to receive it. We need to seek. Uh, Recently, the Lord had me go on a prayer retreat last week, and he wanted me to go somewhere specific. And I found out later that there was a tangible reason why he wanted me to go there to pray. But that was about seeking. I had been asking for this stuff for a long time, and he said, now it's time to seek which means I had to go somewhere, physically go, in order to receive what it was that he wanted me to, to get, to seek. The Bible says um, it's the glory of God to conceal something and the glory of a king to go and search it out. Again, that's the step of faith piece, right? We prove our faith by being willing to go and find it, to search it out. Sometimes that means searching the scriptures, Um, But I think that's a little too metaphorical compared to what Jesus was saying. I think that he was saying, literally, go find it. Go find it. Where is it? I don't know. God tells us to do a lot of dumb stuff in the Bible. March around this wall seven times and it'll fall down. What? It's the worst general I've ever heard of. It wasn't about military tactics or acoustics. The shofars did not knock the walls in. If you've ever heard that, that's ridiculous. God did it, and he made Joshua and the army do something ridiculous to prove their faith. And so sometimes God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. That's in here somewhere, too. So sometimes we have to seek, and sometimes we have to then knock. Once we get there, once we get to that door, we keep knocking and knocking, and then we eventually have to declare that door to be opened or ask God for the key to open that door. And that could be a whole other sermon, too. And then, again, he ends with this great analogy. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Serpent being a metaphor for what? The devil? Serpent? So for those who have a hard time believing that the Holy Spirit or what the Holy Spirit does are good and saying, oh, I'm I'm worried it's demonic, speaking in tongues might be demons, take them to this verse right here. Okay? What father, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? No, 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 no. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If you're asking for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you the devil. He's not going to let a demon come in. Okay? I've talked to people who believe this. They grew up speaking in tongues of the devil. Healing doesn't happen today, so if it happens, it must be evil, which is ridiculous, but whatever. And I'm just like, okay, well, what do you do with this? Because I'm asking for the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promised me that when I ask for the Holy Spirit, I'm going to get it, and specifically not a serpent or a scorpion. And so that's, that's what God is saying. He wants us to be offensively bold in our prayers, okay? Especially in our prayers for other people. And he wants our prayers for other people to be more than just intercession. He wants us to say, God, give me more of you, more of your presence, 
so that I can then bring that presence to someone else and minister to them. And we don't need to know how to minister to them. We just bring the presence of God and let him know that we love him and we pray for him. And if God gives you a word or if God shows you that there's something tangible you can help them with, just help them with that and just love them and just be there. And the presence of God will be ministered as you take that step of faith. Okay, this stuff isn't rocket science, right? Revival is very simple. Part one, God sends his glory. Part two, we ask for more of the presence of God. We bring it to somebody else. That's it. It's so easy. It's so simple. And we don't have to wait for the glory bomb part to do this bread part. We can, tonight, ask for more of the presence of God for our friends so that we can bring them some extra loaves. We can do that tonight, and we can bring it to them tonight or tomorrow or this weekend. Okay? And so I, I want to take a few minutes in prayer. Is that all right? Um, let's maybe get some background music going. Um, let's take a few minutes in prayer, and we're not going to break up into groups this time. Let's just pray together, but by ourselves at the same time. Let's all pray for more of the presence of God and not just enough bread for ourselves for today. We need bread for today, right? We all need bread. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of God. We need the revelation of God in our life every day. But let's ask God for three extra loaves of bread for a friend. And if you've got a couple friends in mind, a lot of you, as I've been speaking, some friends have popped into your head Yes? You're like, that person needs more of God. That person needs some more bread. Okay? If you haven't had that person pop into your head, ask the Holy Spirit. He'll answer that within like 30 seconds. I promise you. And if you've never heard the voice of God, you will hear it right now as you say, God, who needs more of your presence? Show me, and he will show you right now. Okay? Guarantee, 100%. So let's ask God for more of his presence for others, that we can bring some extra bread to some people and minister to them. Amen? All right, let's get some music going and just, just pray however you want to pray. You can kneel, stand, lay down, walk around, whatever you want. I'll start us out with a prayer and then you guys just pray. Are we praying out loud or silently? Whichever you want. Pray out loud if you, if you want. That way it'll be louder in here. And maybe make the music louder too so people don't feel awkward. I mean, if you feel awkward, get over it, right? But, but as, as we're getting over it, the louder music is helpful. Does that make sense? Yeah, just pray by yourself. We're going to all pray together by ourselves. Everybody all at once. It's Korean style. That's what I call it, Korean style. We all pray out loud at the same time, and it gets crazy and loud. So I'll open us up, and then you just pray. You ask God for more bread, more of his presence, for someone in specific. Have somebody on your heart. And say, Lord, I need more of your presence for this person. And then if you get it, if you get the bread and don't bring it to that person, then you're a glutton and a coward and other bad things. Hello? If you ask for more bread for somebody else and you don't take it to them, that ain't cool. So if you don't actually want to do this, then just sit quietly. (laughs) I'm serious. Like, when we step out into a realm of responsibility, God expects us to be responsible. Amen? We're, we're adults now. We can do that. Right? Okay. God, we need more of you for ourselves, first of all. Father God, I just pray that you would fill us with your presence now. We need more of your bread. We need more of your bread right now. We need the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh 
presence of God in our lives. Lord, fill us with your love right now. I pray that a waterfall of your love would just crash down on us right now. An unrelenting, unstopping, um, all-consuming waterfall of your love and your presence would just pour down on this place, on the heart of every single person in this room. Fill us with your presence. I, say, I declare it in Jesus' name. Be filled with the presence of God. Be filled with the love of God in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are going to seek you now for even more of your presence so that we can bring this to someone else, so that we can minister your presence to other people in our lives. Bring those people to our minds, the people that you want us to minister, your love and your life, and help us right now as we ask you for more of your presence. Let's just pray out loud now. Pump up the music. We don't have anything we can give. They are in need and we have nothing to offer them. Give us more of your presence, Lord. We need three extra loaves, three extra measures of your presence to bring to this friend, this family member, this co-worker. We pray that you would bless them, but we pray that you would, as the word says here, give us more of your presence and help us to bring it to them. Lord, this is, this is your word. Your word is true. We stand on the truth of your word right now in Jesus' name, and we declare that as we ask you right now with offensive boldness, you will give us what we are asking for. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, Lord God. We ask, we don't just ask. We declare that you will give us extra measure of your presence to bring to someone else. We declare it in Jesus' name. It is true in your word, and your word is always true. You told us to pray this way, and so we do it. And I'm being offensively bold right now. I'm trying. I'm, I'm terrible at it, but I'm trying to be offensively bold. Lord, teach us how to do that. Teach us way timid, nice Midwesterners how to be offensively bold in our prayers. And so in, in, in a feeble toddler-esque attempt to do that and be offensively bold. I'm just going to declare more of your presence in this place in Jesus' name. Let the heavens open over this place in Jesus' name. Let the heavens open. Be lifted up, O ye gates, that the King of glory may come in. Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Let the heavens open, Lord God. Come, King of glory. Be among us now in Jesus' name. Let the heavens open, Lord God. We ask you now with shameless, offensive boldness to come and revive us. Help us to be able to be that revival for other people. Give us these extra loaves of bread, these extra pieces of your presence. Let's keep praying. Just keep praying out loud.